so if, if you're reading through the Gospel of John along with me, we're looking at one chapter each week. Chapters 13 through 17 are what's known as uh, the farewell discourse of Jesus. Last week, I went through the, the Passion Week, how that starting at, at chapter 12, everything else in the Gospel of John takes place in one week. And now, today, we're on Thursday night. The cross is tomorrow on Friday in the Gospel of John. And there are five chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters that are written, and the events of those chapters take place in one night. One night, the farewell discourse of Jesus. Jesus is looking to the cross, and he's saying, this is my last opportunity with these folks. The last opportunity before I am going to the cross. And so Jesus spends the time that it takes to record John chapters 13 through 17, known as his farewell discourse. Today, Jesus calls us to follow his example of love. We're going to talk about these five chapters over the next five weeks, all of which take place in one night in the Passion Week. But today we're going to look at how Jesus challenged, called, and even commanded us as his followers to love one another in following the example that he has set for us. Let's, let's explore that a little bit this morning. And, and I, was, I was talking to, to some folks this week about the messages and and, and, and where we're at this week, and, and here's kind of, it's not really a dilemma, but here's what I'm working with this week. When I say to you, uh, you know, John chapter 13, th verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, love one another. We've all heard that before. So I'm not preaching a, a new message today. I'm not preaching a, a, a message that, that, that is kind of from some obscure part of the Bible that we really may or may not know much about. I'm preaching a very well-known message today. And the problem, I believe, in the church today across the world and across America as it relates to being the church God has called us to be, I am convinced in my heart one of the biggest problems that we have is that we're not loving each other the way Jesus calls us to love each other. And I really believe that it is doing a couple of things to the church. On the one hand, it's keeping us as the church from experiencing the blessings that God is waiting to pour out upon those who love Him so much that we also are willing to love each other. I believe we're missing some of those blessings. And I also believe it's holding us back from being a witness to the world that when they look at the church, I wonder sometimes, what do they see? Do they see the love of Jesus lived out among the followers of Christ that call that church home? Or do they see backbiting, fussing, and fighting, and they say, why would I ever want what they've got? They're worse off than I am. So I really have that conviction. It's not that we don't know what to do. We all know we're supposed to love each other, right? Say amen if you believe that. We know that. So what then can I do today? And so what I'm hoping and what I'm praying is that today I can offer some reminders and some encouragement that you and I would do what we already know that we're supposed to be doing. So let's look at this and see what it says. First of all, notice that Jesus shows a commitment to love himself. Verse number one, Jesus himself set the example for love. Notice, notice what it says there uh, in, in, in verse, number, uh, verse number one. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew, this being Thursday, he knew that the cross is coming on Friday. Previously, when people would press Jesus to, to step out and identify himself as the Messiah, to, to take charge and become the king of Israel, Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. Starting with, with, with Mary there in, in, in the first miracle with the turning of water into wine. Well, starting there. My hour is not yet. It's not time yet. But starting in verse 12 of John, he knows the time has come. And so he presents himself as the king of Israel in fulfillment of the prophecies of Daniel and other places in the Old Testament in chapter 12. In chapter 12, in verses 12 to 19, we see this triumphal entry. In verse number 23 of chapter 12, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time. In chapter 13, in verse 1, Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew it. He knew his hour had come to depart the world to the Father. And so then notice this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. He loved them how much? To the end. He didn't abandon. He didn't run away. He didn't put us out on our own. He loved them and loves us to the end. Notice, notice there's kind of a past tense here. He had loved his own who were in the world. He had been loving them up until that point. Let's, let's think for a minute, what had he done? It had been an ongoing love. It had, it had been a love from the beginning of his earthly ministry. It had been a love that had, had encouraged them throughout his ministry. Uh, it, it's a love that, that's spelled this way. You've heard of this. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Jesus had invested time into his disciples. In the same way that if we're going to be the parents God has called us to be, we've got to invest some time into our children. I was just talking to, to Shirley. Shirley just spent six days with grandchildren, and she invested that time in those grandchildren. And sure, Bill, make sure Shirley stays awake this morning. She said, it, it'll wear you out, wouldn't it, Shirley, to spend a whole week with your grandchildren. Al and Jean, make sure you're paying attention to this because it's coming. But here's, here's the thing, that we all know this from our own parents, and we know this in dealing with our own children and grandchildren, and, and, and we know in dealing with our husbands and wives, if we want to show them Love, we've got to spend some T-I-M-E with them. We've got to spend time. You can't just call on the phone. You can't just drop off and drop by and pat them on the head on the way to somewhere else. You've got to spend time. Jesus spent time. He chose them. He called them. He encouraged them. He taught them. He corrected them. He did not give up on them. He prayed with them and for them. He prepared them. Ultimately, he commissioned them all because he had been loving them up until that moment. But also notice in the verse, there's a present tense. He continued to love his own to the end. For him, this is on Thursday. For him, that's tomorrow. That's Friday. He continued to love them right up until. And so, so because he loved them, even though it was his last night on earth, what did he do? He invested five chapters worth of teaching into his followers because he was loving them till the end. He loved them all the way to the cross. But also notice there's a future point of reference in here. Not just that he had loved them and he was loving them, but even today he loves us. He continues to love his followers. Jesus loves you. You know that, right? He loves you. 
Not past tense he, because he lived so far, uh, far, far back, but present tense because he is eternal and he is coming again one day and he is with us right now. Do you believe that? He is with us right now because he loves us. He continues to love us. But also I want you to notice something else about the example of Jesus, and that is that he gave a demonstration of love. We see this in verses 2 through 5. Jesus gave a demonstration of love. And, and here we see, we see the divine plan of salvation was in motion. And, and it, was, it, it was happening in two ways. There, there was the, the visible plan of salvation that was taking place, the, the supper and everything that happens in, in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and all the way up through the cross. We read about the outward visible plan of salvation, but there was also an invisible plan of salvation, that, that, or I should say an invisible part of the plan of salvation that was not physically seen but was spiritually active. And we're reminded of two parts of that right here in, in this passage. In verse 2, we're reminded that the devil was at work. The devil was at work. Verse 2, during the supper when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Nobody else saw it. Nobody, nobody else knew what was going, going on at that moment. But already this plan of salvation was in place. The devil was putting it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Also, don't you notice verse 3? Jesus was aware. Not just of the devil. Jesus was aware of the whole plan. Jesus was aware of exactly what was happening. See, when, when they came to arrest Jesus, when he wound up going to the cross, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus. It was a fulfillment of the plan that had been put in place before the foundation of the world. That's why it's so important. There are those teachers and, and so-called scholars that, that would teach us that Jesus somehow got off track. He was trying to teach this message of this and that, and next thing you know, they arrested him and crucified him, and that wasn't part of the plan. I'm here to tell you that it was part of the plan all along. Verse 3, Jesus, this is the invisible part, Jesus knowing three things, three important essential things to be mindful of at this particular time. Knowing that tomorrow is the cross, Jesus knowing, first of all, the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knowing that he was in control and in charge and in authority over all things. Jesus, you know the song, could have called 10,000 angels. He could have changed the course of history right there. He could have stepped away from the plan. He could have said, this is too much to ask of anybody. But he had the authority. That's important. Secondly, knowing that he had come from God. Knowing who he was. Knowing that he is the son of God. That he is the son of man. Knowing that he is God in human form. So there are those that would teach and those that would say, Jesus had, had, had no inkling that he was anything special except just a plain old man. But the, but, the, but the Bible makes it very clear that not only that Jesus was the son of God, God in human form, but that he knew who he was every step of the way. And the third thing, that he was going back to God. He knew that he was going back to God. He was aware that this is the plan that, that was orchestrated by God from before the foundation of the world and would carry forth into eternity future. And this was about to take place was the hour, as Jesus said. The hour has come 
for the Son of God, the Son of Man, to be glorified. The time is at hand. And Jesus knew the devil was doing his dirty little deed with Judas. He also knew exactly who he was. He knew what the plan was. And he was willing to go forward with that plan. Jesus was aware. And also notice, notice this, that Jesus proved his love for his followers. He proved it. It's one thing just to say, you know, I love you. But it's another thing to do something about it that demonstrates not just that you love, but demonstrates the depth of your love. Jesus then went to take the role of the lowest of servants to demonstrate his love to his followers. You see, in that day, as, as you well know, there were no paved roads, and, and people traveled typically by walking. And, and on their feet, they would often have sandals, which were, as far as, as, far as to describe those, would, would be a piece of flat leather on the bottom with some leather straps coming out that you would wrap around your foot and back up around your ankle, maybe partway up your leg, to hold those sandals on your feet. And, and so, so walking in, on a dirt road would, would make your, your feet quite dirty. And so it was common practice for, for, for people to keep basins of water uh, in their home so that they could step, you know, just step in the, in the water and then step out of the water. Uh, or if you had a servant, especially if you were Jewish and had a non-Jewish servant, the, the lowest of the low of the servants, uh, the, the, the low man on the totem pole, so to speak, would be the very one that would be responsible for washing the feet of guests as guests would come into the house. So if a guest is coming in, if you had a servant, then, then you would be responsible for, for wiping the, those feet. And so Jesus took that role on, the role of, of wiping feet that was usually done by the lowest servant there in the house. Notice verse number four. This is during the supper. Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse number five. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus who's about to go to the cross, Jesus who's got the, the, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and the last night with his followers, what does he do? He gives them an example and shows them the depth of which he loves them by performing an act of service towards them that, that the lowest of the low of servants would perform. That's what he did. He cleansed them physically by wiping the dust off their feet, but he also cleansed them symbolically. Even in the washing of the feet, the outward cleansing of the, of the feet, well, it was a picture that he was going to the cross, not to cleanse our feet, not to cleanse our bodies physically, but to cleanse us spiritually. Because the day was coming, the time was coming. I'll never forget, it was in February of 2011. Our former pastor, Pastor Don Chastain, was retiring, and he had this whole thing worked out in his mind of how he wanted to leave Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And he worked it out according to his plan. We had a combined worship service. We were out in the gym. And, uh, and he set the music out and all the order service and things. And at a certain point in the service, he called me up on the stage. And he had me sit in a chair. And he, and he had his two sons, Jeremy and Jonathan, come up. And as I sat in that chair, they came and take, took my shoes and socks off. And with this pitcher right here full of water... His sons poured water 
in the, in the, in the uh, bowl, and then they proceeded to wash my feet right there in front of everybody. How many of you were there? Raise your hand. You remember that? That was, yeah, there's a picture of it there on the screen. That was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. That was one of the greatest acts of love ever expressed towards me. That was a, a moment, a teachable moment then, and an ongoing teachable moment now, that as a pastor, I'm not, I'm not one that's supposed to be put up on a pedestal and everybody gather around and, and just sit at my feet and listen to great words of wisdom that may come out of my mouth or to be served. But I am, as a pastor, to follow the example of Jesus and to be out there rolling up my sleeves and, and recognize life is dirty and get involved with people where they are and show my love to people. I hope that I do that. But it's not an example just for me as a pastor. It's an example for all of us as followers of Christ, isn't it? So Jesus proved his love. I want you to notice the third thing. That is it. now Jesus gives us a command that we're to love. He gives us a command. He sets the example. He demonstrates his love. And then he says, okay, guys, here's your command. See, there's the, there's the example to follow. And, and Jesus never commands or asks of us anything that he himself is not willing to do. Verse 12, when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. And I'm sure they're all just sitting there dumbfounded because they knew both what he had done and the symbolism of it and, and the role that he had taken. And so Jesus puts his garments back on. He sits back in his place. All eyes are locked in. And he says to them, do you understand what I've done? Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 16. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Notice verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, here's what I was thinking earlier in the service. When I look out across the church today, across the board, I'm not talking about Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but I'm talking about the church as a whole. It's like we know all these things in the Bible. We know all this, all this stuff that the Bible teaches, but we're not implementing it. We're not doing it. It's not a, a priority in our lives. And so Jesus is saying here that if you know these things, you've seen it, you've experienced it, now you know it, now you've got to go out and do it. Because it doesn't cross that line of becoming real in your life and then through your life until it becomes a reality in your life because you're doing it. Know it and do it. And see, there are some that believe that, that Jesus' words here are literal, that we are to make foot washing an ongoing part of ministry in the church. There are some churches that do that. They have baptism when a person comes to faith in Christ. They have an ongoing uh, uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and then they have a third thing, and that is foot washing. 
And, uh, and I've never been in a church where that was practiced on any kind of a, a regular basis. But, but I, I would say this, that churches that do that, it certainly is completely fine. It's following the example that Jesus said, and certainly that's one way to do it. But, but there also are some that believe that Jesus' words were, were not only literal, but were also symbolic in that we're to follow the example of Jesus and serve one another in a thousand different ways, but with humility. And that is essential here. So Jesus gave us an example to follow. He also gave us a command to follow. It's not just that he said, hey, guys, it'd be nice if y'all acted like you love each other. Kind of like, like with kids. You, you, ever, you ever seen those kids? How they, they hold their arms up to you this way, and then as soon as you're gone, they take those two arms, make two fists, and beat each other up. You ever seen kids do that? Your kids ever done that? Were you one of those kids that did that? Oh, nobody said amen to that one. I, I, I see how it is. Jesus said in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I loved you, the example that I've set, you're to love one another. And he says, by this will all people know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love here, to repeat, is a command. It's not negotiable. It's from Jesus to us. It's not negotiable. It's not optional. You have, <laughs> you have no choice but to love me. You have to love me. Not because I'm lovable. I hope I am, but not because I'm lovable, but because you love Jesus. I have no option, Bo. I've got to love you, man. I've got to love you. I've got to. And I appreciate it. Thankfully, you're lovable. It makes it easy. If y'all need to set up an appointment to come see me later in the week, you do that. It doesn't depend on how you feel about it. It doesn't depend on how you're treated by others. It doesn't depend on what you want. I really believe there are many Christians today living in open disobedience to God because they are holding open rebellion towards other believers. I just believe that. I just believe that. How did... How did Jesus love us? He set the example. How did he love us? I'm going to give you one example from John chapter 15. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But in John chapter 15, verses 13 to 17, there's five ways. I'm going to be very brief in sharing these with you. Five ways Jesus told us that we can love others. Uh, verse 13 of John 15. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So laying down our life, loving someone to the extent of giving up something, even to the point of death, our own. That's how we love others. Verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. How does Jesus love us? He loves us because he is not only willing to lay down his life for us, but he's willing to reveal to us the message of God. That's love. He tells us what his Father has told him. He gives us and loves us that way. Thirdly, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I, thirdly, I chose you. You ever feel like you're not wanted or you're not worth anything? Look in the mirror and tell yourself, Jesus chose me. That gives me some value. He chose me. That's the third way he loves us. The fourth way is that he appointed you. He's given you something to do. 
It's not just he said, tag, you're it. But, but you, now you know that you're something. Now go out and do something about it. Verse number uh, 16, the fourth thing. He appointed you to go out and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's the fifth way is answered prayer. These are ways that Jesus loves us. And it ought to make us not only feel special, but it ought to give us a sense of, 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 of experiencing his love and then sharing his love. And then notice verse 17. These things I command you. I command you these things so that you will love one another. How do we do that? Because I'm going to tell you something. You can say amen. Just please say amen. Sometimes for you to love me, it's hard. Sometimes for me to love you. It's hard. That's always hard when you have a relationship, especially the, the more you grow in the relationship, the more that you're not exactly alike in all things. You've heard it said before, if we agree on everything, one of us is not important or not needed. <laughs> How do we love each other? Let me give you another Bible passage, Ephesians 4, verses 29 to 32. And I'll have to be very brief here too. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The way we speak is how we love each other. Notice verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Spirit, being led by the Spirit, that's how we are to love each other. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We love each other by removing spite. Just get it away from us as we relate to each other. In verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why should I be forgiving of you? Because of what God has done to forgive me. And God has forgiven me of far more than you will ever need to be forgiven by me. So we need to forgive each other. Notice also love, love for one another is the standard. Verse 34, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The standard of our love is the love that Jesus poured out into our lives. He says, don't just love each other the way a mother loves a child. That's an amazing kind of love. Not just the way a father loves a child. Hopefully that's an amazing kind of love. Not just the way that two friends love each other. That's an amazing kind of love. Not just the love of a husband and a wife. That's an amazing kind of love. But the greatest love of all is to follow the example, the standard, that the way Jesus loved us. Because he went to the cross. He went to the cross for us. Romans 5, 8, God shows or demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loves me deeply and constantly, even though I'm not worthy. And I'm to love others the same way. If I can't love others following the standard that Jesus set for loving me, then I need to question whether or not I'm saved. That sounds, that sounds serious, doesn't it? Why do you say that, Pastor Mark? Because I can only love you if I myself have experienced that forgiving love that God has given me through Christ. And if I can't love others the way God calls me to love them, then I may not be right with God to start with. And if I am 
right with God and I'm not loving you as I should, then I need to do some repenting and some soul searching and not calling people and talking about people and all those things that none of us ever do. But other churches down the street, they do those things. Unbelievers often ask this question, how can I believe that God loves and cares for me when those who follow him don't love and care for each other? Why should I believe God loves me when the people that claim to know him don't love one another? Well, Jesus set the example for us in love. I heard about a, a new person, a person that came to a church for the first time. As he's walking in from the parking lot, the greeter met him at the door, and the new person says, what kind of church is this? What can you tell me about it? And the greeter says, well, what kind of church are you coming from? He said, oh, man, it's a terrible church. Nobody loved each other. They fought all the time, talked about each other, backbiting, backstabbing, rude and ugly. And the greeter said, well, I'm sorry. You're going to find the same thing here. The guy walked in. Right behind him was another visitor for the first time. He walked up to the greeter. They said hello. And, and, and the guest said to the greeter again, said, what kind of church is this? And the greeter said, well, what kind of church are you coming from? He said, oh, it was an amazing church. People cared about each other. They loved each other. If there was a need, the need was met. If somebody was down, somebody was there to pick them up. If somebody needed encouragement, it was there. If there was a need, people met those needs. It was an amazing, loving church. And the greeter said, you're going to find the same thing here. Now, what's the moral of that story? You find what you're looking for. And you find what you yourself are exuding. And Jesus says, love each other with the love that I loved you with. Set the example. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I'm not looking for an outward response, but I'm but, but going to ask you, do you... Fill in the blank. Do you, your name here, do you love Jesus? If you do, if you love Jesus, you will love others. The ones right here in this room, the ones outside this room, you'll love. It won't be easy sometimes, but you'll love. Do you want to share your faith with others? Because you see, lastly, love is a testimony. By this shall all men, all people know that you're my disciples. This one thing will let them know that you follow me. And it's not these great acts of, of religious activity. It's not how you dress. It's not what church you go to. It's not the money you put in the offering plate. It's not the acts of service that you do. It's not even changing dirty diapers in the preschool area, which automatically qualifies anybody for sainthood in a Baptist church. None of that, Jesus said. He said, by this one thing, will all people know that you follow me if you love one another. Let me ask you as I conclude this morning. Does anybody come to mind that you need to love that maybe you've not been loving? Does anybody come to mind that, that, you know, instead of building walls, you need to build some bridges in that relationship. 
Does anybody come to mind that, that, that may need to, to mend some fences with and make some things right and, and start demonstrating and showing some love or watch how you talk to this person or talk about this person in, in a way that, that might just, just make that person wonder, have you gone off the deep end? If you start being nice to me, why are you being so nice? Is there anybody that the Lord would put on your heart and call upon you to demonstrate his love to them? Maybe somebody that you don't even know yet. Maybe somebody that just aggravates you to no end. Maybe somebody that you've not exhibited a lot of patience towards. Is there somebody that desperately needs to see the love of Jesus and God wants to use you in whatever circumstances you're in to be his person on the scene to bear the fruit of love so that that person might be reminded of how much Jesus loves them. So that that person might see for maybe even the first time in their life that Jesus cares about me. And I know that because his follower cares about me. How many believers are at odds with other believers and, and just severed relationships and severed friendships and severed churches simply because they've not loved and shown love to each other? And what wonderful benefits are waiting for us to really, really love one another. Let me tell you this. I'm not saying these things because I think Ridgecrest Baptist Church is a terrible church. I will tell you that since my teenage years, this church has been a phenomenal church. My biggest desire is not to mess it up while I'm serving as pastor. This church is a loving church. But this church is not a perfect church. Because if it was, you never would have had me come in here and be your pastor. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? Lord, make me mindful of the great love that you love me with. Lord, make us mindful of the cost of that love, which is the cross. Make us mindful, Lord, of the command that you give us to love one another in such a way that people will see and respond. Lord, make me loving towards others. Those that are, make it easy, well, Lord, those that make it difficult. And may I do so in obedience. May I do so, Lord, as a testimony. And I pray, our Heavenly Father, you would make others to see the love of Jesus in me and in all of us and that they may come to know you because of that love. I pray, Lord, that within the church there would be a revival of restoration because of love. Restoration, Lord, with you. Restoration, Lord, with others. Restoration, Lord, with the world. And Lord, I pray for that to happen in the future, but Lord, why not today? Why not right now? Why not right here? So, Lord, take the song we're about to sing. Take the prayers that we pray, the scripture that we open, our hearts and our lives as they're opened up to you. And may we pray, Lord, have your way in us. Show us your love that we might show your love to others. As we pray in Christ's name, amen.